This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Hello everybody, it is the Computer Voice Lady here as we bring another Omnibus edition on this Friday drop of It Was a Thing on TV at PTBN Pop. First we are going to give you the mini-sode we had left over from our Super Bowl week as we talk about the FanDuel Kick of Destiny. After that we start Black History Month with episode 453 in Frank's Place followed by Cleghorn in episode 454. So let's get things going. Mike do the voiceover. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train. Minisode 31. Submission 2493. The FanDuel Kick of Destiny. The FanDuel Kick of Destiny was a commercial for Super Bowl 57. Well, I guess we got to talk about this. Do we have to? Okay. Rob Gronkowski is a very good football tight end. He is a party animal. He is one half of the team captains on future entry Game On. One thing he is not, though, is a kicker. One thing he also isn't is incredibly smart, which he isn't. Thank you! I'm sorry, I was waiting for that. I'm, I was hoping that somebody was going to say, and one other thing that he's not is a brain surgeon. Let me just say this. It takes Rob Gronkowski 15 hours to figure out what 1 plus 1 equals. And that's if you spot him the two. And there's probably a reason he went to Arizona for college. Aren't they like a big party school? Yes. You rest my case. So what is he doing in the middle of the desert? Kicking a football. Because FanDuel wanted to have some ridiculous promotion for the Super Bowl. And they thought, oh, let's have Rob Gronkowski, a guy who's like 250 pounds, a muscle-headed idiot, kick a football from like 25 yards, and it's going to be hilarious. We didn't know how hilarious this was going to be. But this wasn't just going to be an ad campaign. This was going to be an event. A big event that takes place out in the desert, supposedly near State Farm Stadium in Glendale. The pitch is Rob Gronkowski is going to kick a field goal. If he made the kick, the fans who placed a bet on the Super Bowl with FanDuel would have won a share of $10 million. So how much does that come up to everyone who betted on FanDuel for the Super Bowl? Like two bucks? A buck fifty? I think it'd be a little more. Remember, not every state had legalized betting at that point. 
So maybe it would end up being $3, $4 a piece. And also, it probably isn't even money that you can withdraw. It's money that you can use in bets on FanDuel. They're not just going to hand you money. That's why when you sign up, they're like, okay, bet $5, and we'll give you $200 in free bets. You can't withdraw that $200. That's basically fun money. And once you get rid of that money, then you play your real money and you can withdraw it. So if you signed up, place a $5 bet, you are registered for the kick of destiny. And this was just in the week leading up to the big game in 2023. All you had to do was make a $10 deposit, a 10 plus dollar deposit, place a qualifying rager of at least $10. And if your bet hits, all is well. But in addition, you are entered into the kick of destiny. He is going to kick. Rob Gronkowski is going to attempt a field goal from 25 yards. If he made it, then anyone who has made a $5 bet on Super Bowl 57 will get a portion of the $10 million. Presumably in FanDuel fun bucks. Oh, and they didn't just bring in any kicker to help Rob Gronkowski. They brought in perhaps the best to do it. Adam Vinatieri. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. So now the big question. How'd that turn out? Well, do you have the ad ready for us, Chico? I want to see it. You want the ad? Yeah. Then you've got the ad. Live from the Arizona desert, it's the FanDuel Kick of Destiny. Rob Gronkowski kicking for $10 million. His trainer, Adam Vinatieri, with the Gronkowski family looking on. Here we go. The kick is up. It's no good. He missed it. But you still win. FanDuel is still giving customers a piece of $10 million in bonus bets. Check your accounts tomorrow only from America's number one sports book. <laughs> I love that he uses this one. You go to grab this plug. <laughs> he was on his knees like, why? Why? He looked devastated. Mike, what are you? He's a phony. I'm sorry. He's a phony. <laughs> well, Chico, it turned out that this chick and this whole thing was about accurate as a three-hour bill to coin a mic term, right? About as accurate... That, that is about... <laughs> that was about as real as a three-dollar bill with Tom Brady's picture on it. Huh. So did you hear what they're doing this year? Oh, they're doing this again. They're doing this again, but in order to avoid some of the controversy with which 
they had to talk about whether or not he made it because the video looked like he made it, but he looked like he didn't make it. And the official log line is that he did not make it. But in order to avoid any of the questions, they're putting Gronk's fate in our hands. If you have a FanDuel account, you can go on to it and vote on whether or not Rob Gronkowski will make or miss the same 25-yard kick. I don't think it's vote. I think it's actually bet. You can either bet on him making it or on him That's missing what I it. Meant. That's what I meant. He, you could, I mean, you could choose, will he make it or will he miss it? And of course, if your bet hits, you get presumably your share of $10 million in FanDuel fun bucks. Let me just say FanDuel fun bucks or more legitimate and worth something than NFTs. Oh, I thought you were going to say temptation dollars. Why'd you have to f-ing remind me of Temptation, Mike, on this? Oh, let me guess. You can't put the Temptation. You can eat them all. Is that what you were going to say, Mike? Hey, Benoodles, come here. I need you. Yes, because I need an adult, and Benoodles is close. So, no, I didn't say that because of that. I'm just talking about the legitimacy. But yeah, Venus can eat the temptations. She can eat them all. Yeah. Temptations. Da, da, da. Man, I can't wait till we talk about that pile of crap. Oh boy, that's gonna be fun. Anyway, we have to end this mini-sode on a bit of a post-fix because of events that happened on the day that we are recording this. Because one of the people who is going to train Rob Gronkowski was Carl Weathers. And sadly, he died in his sleep last night as we record this. And we have a FanDuel statement here, if I may share it. We are deeply saddened to learn of the passing of Carl Weathers. Throughout his life, Carl was an iconic talent who had a profound impact on the people he worked with on and off the screen. FanDuel was fortunate to have had an opportunity to work with him during our Super Bowl campaign. We are adjusting our campaign accordingly out of respect for the family during their time of grief. So what can we say about the kick of destiny from last year? Uh, well, it was hilarious. I love the scene Vinatieri with the family. Like, he was Yoda or something. Well, wasn't he? I guess he was supposed to be Yoda trying to teach him to kick. But I got to say that when you get a chance, and I'll put it in the description on the Podbean feed, Jaguar Gator 9, who lives in Arizona, did a great video ripping the out of this whole thing. So after you're done listening to this, just listen to that. Because it's so great and so hilarious about how this was about as big as a $3 bill. I'm going to second that recommendation. Very good video. Greg shared it with me. I think it was within a week of the Kick to Destiny last year. Yes, it was. Wow. 
because it's the king. Yes, sir. You know, they should have gotten Jack Black to perform a song for the kick. Who says they're not getting Jack Black? Remember, they don't reveal everything before the Super Bowl. Yeah, but Jack was probably too busy singing the song of 2023. Peaches, 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 peaches. Why isn't that up for a Grammy? Or why isn't that up for an Oscar? Why? Missed opportunity. But you know what? I'm just Ken will have to do. Shut up, Happy. Don't feel bad about me. I got my hand back, see? We've only just begun to live white lace and promises. A kiss for luck and we're on our Since we now know what has happened since Gronk missed the kick again this year and once again Jaguar Gator 9 exposed that shocker it was again a fraud. I know am I just shocked. Anyways let's go on to Frank's place. Episode 453, submission number 1281, Frank's place. Frank's place aired on CBS from September 14th of 1987 to March 22nd of 1988. For a total of 22 episodes, six more than your standard crack block. And the episodes that we've covered that originate from September 1987 are the following. Primetime starts at 7.30. Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. New Monkeys. Marblehead Manor. I Mary Dora. The Slat Maxwell Story. Show favorite, Second Chance 1987, Boys Will Be Boys. J.J. Starbuck. And if we're counting a miniset, you can also include the 1987 version. We'll go back to miniset 7. Can we also include Batman 66, since Jacob the Fat Man premiered that year? No. Darn. Want to hear some New Orleans jazz? Oh, do I? You know what it means to miss New Orleans where mocking boys used to sing. And I'd like to see the lazy Mississippi a hurrying in to spring. Oh, the mighty grass to memories of Creole's tunes that fill the shows on cbs in 1987 one of the big debut shows was frank's place and we talked about it in the past because uh, the cbs playhouse was hosted by tim and daphne maxwell reed we talked about it a number of times where they would introduce pilots and basically the home audience would say yay or nay 
I know one of them was Kung Fu the Next Generation or the New Generation or something like that. But we did talk about another pilot that would have aired in 1987. Infiltrator with Scott Bakula. And actually, we did the third because King of the Building was also in the uh, Summer Playhouse. Yeah, we did that too. So we've covered three of the 1987 CBS Playhouse entries, which would have had the little interstitial segments hosted by Tim and Daphne Maxwell-Reed in preparation for this in fall of 1987. We got to talk about the creator of this show. Oh, yes. Hugh Wilson, WKRP. Previous entry, the famous Teddy Z. Oh, Greg, that reminds me. Another show that we talked about that's going to be on our uh, new network, the Teddy Famous Z. Right after it's always showtime at the Apollo. Well, it's always showtime at the Apollo, so does it technically ever end? No. It's like an infinite loop. But yeah, Hugh Wilson, WKRP, the famous Teddy Z, and also wrote the original Police Academy back in 1984. So Frank's Place... It was set in New Orleans, and really, you get that vibe pretty early on, just with some of the cast members, specifically one that we've referred to in the past, who we're going to talk about a little bit later, who's got a southern drawl so thick, you can cut it with a machete. So Frank Parrish, he was a professor at Brown University. He inherited a restaurant, the Chez Louisiane. Got to use that French accent I took five years of French in school. So I need it to actually pay off. So Frank traveled down to new Orleans, intending to sell the restaurant in the premiere episode. However, the waitress named Emerita, also known as miss Marie, put a voodoo curse on Frank to ensure that he'll come back to carry on his family's legacy with the business. When Frank returns to new England, the life that he's known there suddenly goes crazy. So feeling he has no choice, he goes back to New Orleans and makes discoveries about black culture in New Orleans and the difference between Northern and Southern lifestyles and also himself. And really, this is her Wikipedia. It's a fish out of water story, not unlike the Beverly Hillbillies or Green Acres. And the stories sometimes focus on class issues, race issues, you do see that in the South a little bit. I've been down there. I've got relatives down there. And even now in 2024, sometimes still some issues. Talking about some characters, we talked about Frank Parrish, played by Tim Reed, who we would all know as Venus Flytrap from WKRP in Cincinnati, among other things. I know he was on Simon and Simon. I know he was on Sister, Sister. But I think people of a certain age, specifically me, Venus Flytrap. Oh, I thought one of you would chime in with you. You're allowed your wrong opinion. I thought one of you would definitely chime in with, with Simon and Simon being his big show. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, Sister Sister did last like six seasons. How long did WKRP last? Four. Think about it. Okay, you know what? I'm going to see how long Simon and Simon lasted so I can put your little sister-sister to rest. Oh, shoot, it only lasted four seasons. I think we lost this time. Well, how many seasons was Tim Reed on Simon and Simon? 
Well, let's see. He was credited as being on Simon and Simon when he was on Match Game Hollywood Squares in 84. So uh, looks like about four seasons. So seasons three through six. Oh, wait a second. It ran six seasons. How many seasons did Sister Sister run? Six seasons. Yeah. So you know what? They're equals. Maybe in terms of length of time, they're not equal, but number of seasons, six versus six. However, did it have a special in the Adult Swim series, the greatest event in television history, where the reenactment of the opening was made? No. Adam Scott was apparently too busy for that. Yeah, and remember, John Hamm, quote-unquote, died during that. No, trust me, John Hamm's going to die during Grimsburg. No, and actually, that looks pretty fun, but moving on. So... Playing his wife, Hannah Griffin, is his real-life wife, Daphne Maxwell-Reed. A.K.A. Aunt Viv II. He's not wrong. And remember, we talked about Aunt Viv I at the end of the mini-sode about the McDLT. Well, Mike wasn't here for that, but Chico, remember when we stopped recording, like, oh, we're done. I was like, we're done, we're done, we're totally done. Wait! We are not done! I thought I was here for that. No, you weren't here for that. You were here for Herb, though. I was here for Herb, but that rings a bell, though. Well, you do listen to all the shows before they go online. Not all. Majority, but not all. Playing Cy Bubba Weisberger in this series is Robert Harper. Not with us any longer. Passed away in January of 2020 at the age of 68. He was in Creep Show. That's an interesting credit. Charlie Gerson in Creep Show. But taking a look at his TV series, uh, a series called Philly in 2001 and 2002. He was on 13 episodes. Going to presume the entire run. But he made appearances on one episode of many shows. He was on four episodes of I shouldn't even mention the show. He played Brian Laporte. I guess you guys want me to mention the show. Yeah. L.A. Law, play it. You heard the man. I really don't want to talk about it. Ah! Oh. Oh. oh, my God! No, when you said I don't want to say I thought you were going to say the Mr. Black mysteries. Because according to Homer Simpson, that show had limitless possibilities. Oh, the jokes just write themselves, don't they? He was in an episode of Star Trek TNG. Ooh. Playing Lethal Bind. I wonder if he has an autographed card in Rittenhouse. Uh, well, he was uncredited in the episode, so I would say oh. probably not. Season 4, episode 23, The Host. He did, however, also appear on one episode of the original Fat Man 66, Jake and the Fat Man. I think that's what we're calling it, the original Batman 66. Because Batman 66 is on our network, and okay, I want to make sure. Right between the Eddie Famous Z and it's always Showtime at the Apollo. And the Lost Precinct. Let's not forget about the Lost Precinct. And many other shows. Playing Anna May. No last name here. Anna May is Francesca P. Roberts. 
and where you would know her from, from the Super Mario Brothers movie in 1993, she played Bertha. Yes! Not just Bertha. Big Bertha. That was like the biggest cheap cheat there ever was in Mario 3. You put some respect on that name. I'm sorry. She was also on one episode of our favorite series, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Season 10, episode 4, Charlie Work. Playing Miss Marie. Going back to the uh, waitress who put that little voodoo hex on Tim Reed's character is Frances E. Williams. Passed away in 1995. She is best known as Grandma Johnson in The Jerk. <laughs> uh, if you ask me, Steve Martin's finest work. That's a great movie. Underappreciated. So I'm guessing she played Steve Martin's grandmother. I would assume. Well, remember, Steve Martin's character in The Jerk thought he was black. Right, right. That's why I say I'm guessing this character played by Frances E. Williams was Steve Martin's grandmother because he was just a poor black boy. You're right about that. Playing Bertha Griffin Lamore in this series is Virginia Capers, also not with us any longer, died in 2004. This may not be a good sign, but her IMDb known for doesn't have Frank's place. It does, however, have Howard the Duck. Oh, but she has a recurring role as Hattie Grandma Banks, that is Uncle Phil's mama, in six episodes of Fresh Prince. Oh, we're just covering all the bases with Fresh Prince today. Oh, you don't even know. Big Arthur in this series is played by Tony Burton. Another person who's not with us any longer died in 2016 at age 78. He played Duke in Rocky IV and Rocky Balboa and also was Apollo's trainer in the original Rocky. And also, Chico, he's in the first episode of Moonlighting. This is true. I streamed it on Disney Plus because I got the uh, Hulu subscription along with my Disney Plus. If you don't mind me asking, what type of role did he play in the first episode? Bartender. Which totally would rate, given what we know about Tony Burton from Frank's place. Well, that makes sense. Absolutely good connection there. But also, I gave a little chuckle there because taking a look at the Moonlighting credit, he is credited as Bartender. Isn't even given a name. Yeah, Apollo's trainer. That's pretty good credit there in Rocky and Rocky 2. Playing Tiger Sheppin is Charles Lampkin, and he's another person who hasn't been with us for some time. He actually died in 1989, less than a year after Frank's Place got canceled. He played Pops in Cocoon, and this is actually his last credit according to IMDb. Wait a second. On Night Court, he played Grandpa Robinson, so he must have played Mac's grandfather? Wait. You know what that oh, jeez. No, another trap I walked into. That's a penis. Not another Pulaski episode. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that means. That may be cut, cut out. 
That's only if we talk about Diana Moldor. No, but I I feel like we need to have something similar for that when we talk about Charles Robinson. Charlie Robinson, the scene from How I Met Your Mother. Not another Charlie Robinson episode. No, what? I'm sorry. Ted, why do you have to build this building for freaking Brian Cranston that looks like a penis? (laughs) Because remember, Uh, uh, Brian Cranston was Ted's boss then. Moving on, we actually have more characters. I know we've gone through like 10 at this point. We got three more to go, believe it or not, who appeared on every single episode. Maybe that's another reason this got canceled is if you've got 13 people appearing on every episode, yeah, the money goes up there. Playing Reverend Tyrone Deal is Lincoln Kilpatrick. Again, not with us anymore, passed away in 2004, he was a priest in Soylent Green, one of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time. And spoiler, don't eat the Soylent Green. Oh, why is that? It's not good for you. Oh. A lot of calories. Oh, good to know. If it turns green, it's beefy lean. If it turns blue, it's your Uncle Lou. Oh, good. So I can eat it then. It's not my Uncle Lou. Hey, you said it, not me. Cool Charles in this series is played by William Thomas Jr. And yet another person who's not with us any longer passed in 2020. He played Santos on an episode of Star Trek TNG. Second reference to TNG this episode. Season 7, episode 24, Preemptive Strike. Other than that, he made a lot of one-shot appearances did two episodes of The West Wing back in 2002, two episodes of Sister Sister again in 95 and 97, and three episodes of Hope and Gloria in 1995 and 1996. And wait, hold on a second. We totally forgot this because he played Detective William Donald Potts on seven episodes of Cop Rock. So we just talked about him a week and a half ago. So there is life after Frank's place. He was on seven episodes of Cop Rock. No word if he sang any of those songs we talked about. We've covered 10 characters so far. There's an 11th character, but we're saving the best for last. Playing Shorty, as IMDB credits him, not Shoddy LaRue or even Shorty LaRue, but his name is Shorty LaRue, happens to be John Barber's kid's favorite character on his favorite show, which happened to be Frank's Place, Don Yeso. Don Yeso, not into acting anymore, believe it or not. He actually owns like a yoga Pilates studio in Louisiana, I think in Baton Rouge. Does a little acting every now and then from what it appears. Recently, he was on seven episodes of Queen Sugar as a cop. Was on four episodes of Zoo, if you remember that on TNT. He was a coach in 22 Jump Street uncredited but he's had a nice long career but yeah he owns a uh, a yoga pilates studio i think it's actually called like yolatis or something like that in uh, baton rouge this would actually not be his only role to take place in louisiana he was on an episode of Kville in 2007 and an episode of trem that's how you pronounce it, right? Trem 
on HBO in 2010. And actually, if you take a look, Don Yeso, he may be like 70 years old. He is friggin' ripped. He stays in shape. But yeah, he's got an accent so thick, you need a chainsaw to get through it. In fact, his accent was so thick. How thick was it? Oh, I'm sorry. Hugh Wilson heard him. I believe it was on an airplane flight to the city when Hugh Wilson and Tim Reed were doing research for the show. Hired him on the spot. This show is his big break. And actually, his yoga Pilates studio, Yoglades, it looks like doing some quick research. LSU's football team does work with him. Well, it makes sense. Baton Rouge totally makes sense. But yeah, damn. Don Yeso is ripped for almost 70 years old. I hope that there's like a picture of him with Brian Kelly. Those are the 11 characters who appear in every episode. I know that's a lot. Took us some time to get through that. And we do have a bunch of episodes, 22 plus the pilot. So let's just start off at the top. Even though I mentioned it earlier, that first episode, Frank Parrish comes to New Orleans to see his father's restaurant, the Chez Louisiane, also called the Chez. Frank meets the staff of the restaurant and some of the loyal customers. And one thing I've noticed, especially since we just went through 11 people who are on this show on every episode, there's not a lot of guest stars. That happens to be the case with episode one. There is one person, but that's somebody of little significance. Episode two, Frank returns. Frank goes back to Boston, but it seems the city doesn't want him. Is this due to a spin put on him? So he goes back to New Orleans to stay. So this goes back to the little curse, the little voodoo, Maloika, whatever you want to talk about that uh, the waitress put on him when he went down to New Orleans in the pilot. So now he goes back home, but decides, okay, I'm going back to New Orleans because something just ain't right. We got some names in this episode, though, playing themselves. First and foremost, Joe Frazier. Smoking Joe. But also, well, if you have Joe Frazier gotta have this guy nearby i think as himself don king we also have playing a character by the name of gregory john marshall jones now he's been in for all mankind he's been in bosch but he is primarily known as taj maury's daddy on smart guy what is it with the maoris this episode we talk about sister sister now we're talking about smart guy they're getting a lot of mileage in this episode. Just remember, smart guy is where I learned. Never help a lowly guy who lives in a basement develop a video game based on surfing. It's not going to end well. See a very special episode to learn more about that. Episode three is titled Frank Takes Charge. Frank is the new owner of the Shea, but with no experience in running a restaurant. He feels like a fifth wheel. He also finds out that he owes a loan that he borrowed from Bertha Griffin Lamore. Episode four is titled The Bridge. 
A man named Varden drinks too much at the Shea and dies in a car accident. The Varden family sues the Shea for negligence. Don't overserve people. I'm just saying. That's how you get a place closed. Now, I don't see a person named Varden in the credits, but I do see Olive Varden. I'm assuming his wife, played by B. Richards. B. Richards, who is known for a role as Mrs. Prentice in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and two episodes of Sanford and Son as Aunt Ethel. But there are two other names in this episode. Playing sister number one is Lenny Godfrey, who we talked about in previous entry New Monkeys as the voice of the house of the New Monkeys. But playing Jan Rudy, Conchata Farrell. Wow. So even more references to L.A. Law in this episode. I was thinking more Two and a Half Men uh, Hotel Hot L Hot L Baltimore? Yeah, Hot L Yeah, Baltimore. Hot L Baltimore, yeah. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think Two and a Half Men first and foremost. Yeah, that's what we most know her for is Two and a Half Men. Sorry to override you, Chico. Yeah, that's fine. Men. Episode 5, Frank joins the club. Frank gets invited to a black men's club. He feels great till he finds out how they chose their members. So how do they choose their members? Looking at Wikipedia, this may explain it a little better. Frank is recruited to be the token dark-skinned member of a club for light-skinned black people. Oh. So it's basically that episode of King of the Hill, then. It's something, I'll tell you that. But like I said earlier, they did tackle different issues like race. Episode six, Eligible Bachelor. Frank has his eyes on Hannah, but the young eligible women and their pushy mothers are taking a particular interest in Frank. Playing Ruby in this episode, who I'm going to assume is one of the women who want to go after Frank. It's Tracy Reed. She was on five episodes of McLeod as Carol Broadhurst. We don't get to talk about McLeod all that often, so I thought I'd throw that in there. But also, she was on a number of episodes of different shows. Episode of Riptide, three episodes of La Love Boat, an episode of Hill Street Blues, two episodes of Benson, all over the place in the late 70s, early 80s. We may have talked about her in the past because she was on an episode of That's My Mama. And 25 episodes of OG Love American Style. I really did not know there were regular cast members on Love American Style. That's going to take us to episode number seven, Disengaged. Uh-oh, hold on. Uh-oh. Wait, Uh-oh. Susan. Yeah, thank you, Susan. I, I really appreciate that. So... I'm guessing that there may have been some sort of engagement, but now disengaged. Anna Mae is excited to be a bridesmaid at Hannah's wedding, but will there be a wedding? Okay, so it has nothing to do with Frank's relationships. It has to do with Hannah and her relationship, her soon-to-be marriage. going to throw out a name just because I know Greg loves this. Playing Soap Benson in this episode is Brad Sanders. I only mentioned Brad Sanders for one reason. 
He played Luther in Brewster's Millions. Oh, yes. But also, he played Tequila's voice in Tequila and Benetti. That is true. Yeah, he was the voice of Tequila. So we hit both the Greg's sweet spots there. Brewster's Millions and Tequila and Benetti. Playing Father Phil in this episode is Carl Franklin, who you would probably remember as the uh, major domo on the final season of the A-Team, where, you know, the A-Team finally gets captured and they work off their sentence as soldiers of fortune for the Federales and Robert Vaughn. I love it when a plan comes together. Episode 8 is called Cool in the Gang Part 1. C-O-O-L in the gang. Part one. Charles tries to make some money on the side selling car cologne, but falls in with a fast crowd with a product that will sell far better, but at a cost. We do have one name in this episode. We do have one guest of note playing Other Boy. That's the name he's given. Other Boy is Laren's Tate. And where you might know him from, he was on 29 episodes of Power. He was Councilman Tate. And then Power Book 2, Ghost, also playing Councilman Tate. He's been on many, many things. 47 episodes of Rescue Me. Eight episodes of, oh, this we talked about a number of weeks ago, and Greg, I don't think, remembered what it was. Or maybe it was Chico, but myself and the other person knew what it was. Eight episodes of Love Monkey. That was supposed to be Teddy Geiger's starring uh, vehicle. It did not end well. And actually, we have talked about him in the past because he played Curtis Royal on The Royal Family, the short-lived show that, uh, unfortunately, Red Fox passed away. Next episode, obviously, is Cool in the Gang Part 2. Cool Charles's crowd turns deadly, and his personality gets darker with his drug use. And Laren's Tate is in this episode again as Other Boy. Another name in this episode. Playing Homer, Bill Lewis. And Phil Lewis was in part one as well. He was in Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, but he is also a prominent producer and director. That'll take us to episode 10. The Reverend gets a flock. While sitting out some bad weather, Bubba and Tiger recall the last time Reverend Tyrone Deal had a congregation. Episode 11 is titled I.O.U., Frank is asked rather forcefully to sell the Shea to Pokey Lacar to settle an old debt of Ennis Parrish, Frank's dad, and the former owner of the Shea. Playing Pokey Lacar, we have a name, Ray Oliver. He played Dr. Death in Child's Play, for those of you who enjoy the Child's Play series. And we talked about the director of this episode before. Roy Campanella II. That's right, because we talked about him in the Colbys, where earlier in the episode, we talked about his dad not knowing he directed an episode of the Colbys, and Kisa said infamously, who is for Campanella? And we all were like, what? Go back to that one. That was a good exchange. Oh, uh, all that episode with me and Kiesel, that was just comedy gold. Oh, Kiesel took over that episode. That was a thing of beauty. Episode 12 is titled Food Fight. I wonder if this is about the video game. Oh, Chico, that reminds me. You gotta get 
the Atari 50 for the Switch or whatever system you use because it has Food Fight, the arcade version. That is one of my favorite games on Atari 50. Do we have the 7800 version on it? It doesn't. It has like the Atari 800 XE or X, whatever the computer system was, and it has the arcade version. But, you know, the 7800 version is pretty darn good, too. So getting back to this episode, when a rival restaurant tries to steal the Shays' food to tap the secret of Big Arthur's recipes, an illegal boxing match is set up for the rival chefs. The winner admits in public who is the better cook. We have a name in this episode. Playing Cyrus Litt, Randall Tex Cobb. Oh, damn. Randall Tex Cobb. Most notably from Police Academy for Citizens on Patrol. And Raising Arizona. Don't forget Raising Arizona. Doing a little research, I know where I remember him from. He played a burglar on an episode of Married with Children, where Al knocks the living stink out of him when he tries breaking into Al's house. But then he sues Al for the injuries he had after getting caught trying to steal stuff in his house. So kind of somebody that we know, at least in our little circle, uh, in terms of uh, characters on this episode. Moving on to episode 13, Season's Greetings. Okay, I think we can guess that this is the Christmas episode, and it happened to air on December 14th, so I think my speculation is correct. It's Christmas at the Shea. Frank is invited to Shabbat at the Weisbergers, and he also gets to meet Ennis's brother, Ray. Arthur plays Santa Claus for the local children with Shorty as his helper. Oh my gosh. Don Yeso is playing an elf. An elf with an accent so thick. How thick is it? I don't know. I gave you a couple of lines earlier about cutting it with a machete or with a chainsaw. He's got a thick accent. We have a couple of names in this episode. Playing Brandon in this episode is Gregory Itzen. We haven't said this in a long time. Greg, I know you want to say it. You have the honors. That bastard Charles Logan. It was a thing on TV Hall of Famer, Gregory Itzen. And he was the guy who lost on few to the guy who busted his kneecap. We haven't talked about Gregory Itzen in ages. It's been probably close to two years at this point. This felt good. I love it. But another name, even bigger than that bastard Charles Logan, believe it or not, playing Ray Parrish, is John Witherspoon. Pops. Among other things. J.D. Witherspoon's daddy. R.I.P. Confetti. That does it for the episodes from 1987, but we will come back to complete the rest of the run of Frank's Place after these commercial messages from around this time. We will be right back. Once upon a time... Do you love this man? I don't want to lose you, Vincent. Let her fall in love. Follow your heart, Catherine. Beauty and the Beast. And on Dallas. We're gonna make it through this, you'll see. Pam's bandages are coming off, and what you'll see is anyone's guess. Then, her husband's gone, but his legacy lives on. I loaned him $30 million, and now I want it back. Falcon Crest, a night of surprises, Friday on CBS. You know, it's funny. 
When I tell people I really do use Prell, they don't believe me. They think that because I'm a model, I have a bathroom full of hairdressers or something. But the truth is, I really love what it does to my hair. It gives my hair body and fullness. You really should try it yourself. You'll love it. And if you don't, they'll give you your money back. Your hair's worth at least that, right? Oh, I forgot one thing. Try Prell Conditioner, too. It's made especially to work with Prell Shampoo. You really have to feel all this body to believe it. That's all. There's something new in the air. Wait till you smell it. Wait till you see what it can do. It's a new dawn. Mountain Spring Dawn. Watch for it. CBS Sports Break, sponsored by Kentucky Fried Chicken. Good evening. The Minnesota Twins, a team that has given new meaning to the phrase home sweet home, snapped a 2-2 tie and scored what proved to be the winning run of the six on three walks and an infield single by Greg Gagne. They added an insurance run in the eighth. The victory went to Frank Viola, who held the Cardinals with six hits over eight innings. The triumph was the first World Series championship for the Twins since 1924, when they were the Washington Senators. More after this. New Chicken Little Sandwiches from Kentucky Fried Chicken. In his first game in nearly a year, Jim McMahon came off the bench in the second half and passed the Bears to victory over Tampa Bay. That was the highlight of the day when the regular NFL players returned to action. For CBS Sports Break, I'm Irv Cross. This is CBS. We're going to get into 1988 with episode 14, The Bum Out Front. Frank has a problem with a homeless man that will not leave the Shea alone. No guess of note. Actually, one guess, but that's not a person of note. So we're going to move on to episode 15, Dueling Voodoo. One of Frank's dad's possessions is an apartment from which a voodoo woman refuses to move. Frank needs to evict her, but needs some help from another local voodoo worker to do so. In this episode, playing Madame Torche, who I'm guessing may be some sort of mystic that's trying to get rid of the voodoo lynn thigpen i don't think i need to say anything else but obviously we know her from the district but again people our age three of us know her as the chief on where in the world is carmen san diego somebody's gotta get the rerun rights to that show oh that was so much fun episode 16 is called where's ed didn't we do an episode about that last week? Where's uh, Huddles? Was his name Ed Huddles? I think it was. So where's Ed? Apparently 18 years in the future on a series set in uh, New Orleans. I'm guessing. Ed, a fellow driver club member, has died. But this has not stopped his fellow drivers from taking him from the funeral home to the Shea for one last drink. Instead of taking him back, the drivers leave him at the Shea the next morning. Holy crap. It's weekend at Bernie's. Did anybody try getting Bernie drunk? I'm just curious. Legit question. Playing D. Wayne Thomas in this episode, believe it or not, is 
the aforementioned Hugh Wilson. So he wrote, directed, and starred in this episode. The only thing he didn't do was the catering, apparently. Episode 17 is called Night Business. Business is bad in the evenings, so Frank hires a consultant who decides on some radical changes. Episode 18 is titled Shorty's Bell. Shorty falls in love with a woman who may spell trouble for him. Seems like we should have an uh uh-oh there, but I think we've already used our uh uh-oh quota for this episode. The titular bell. Alexandra Puddin Boatwright, played by Elise Cutter, who you would remember as the pretty neighbor that Balky had his eye on during season one of Perfect Strangers and half of season two. Episode 19, Frank's Place, the movie. Oh, great. We've talked about getting six seasons in a movie. This gets one season, and in it is a movie. Oh, my gosh. A movie is being shot at the bat. Frank finds himself drawn to the actress, but holds back because he doesn't want to jeopardize his potential relationship with Hannah. But the guys tell him he should try. You won't believe what happened. Well, this may be the person who's playing that actress that he has a little bit of feelings for. Playing Nima Sharon is Pam Greer. Oh. I think that's all you need to say is, oh. And I think Anu and whatever that last thing that Chico did, I think are also appropriate. Because if you know your black exploitation films from the 70s, she was in a few. Oxy Brown. And she also played the title role in Jackie Brown. Yeah, one of Quentin Tarantino's underrated gems. Concur. But that's not the only name of this episode. That might not even be the biggest name in this episode, believe it or not. Playing Brandman Carr. Patrick Wayne. He did more than host Tic-Tac-Toe. Yeah. He did. Oh, I said toe. He did more than host Tic Tac Toe back in 1990. We've referred to him because he was the host of the Monte Carlo show. By the way, Tic Tac Toe, that's going to be another show on our network now. Tic Tac Toe? Tic Tac Toe, yeah. Where we're playing for digits? Yeah. Yes. Can I be a five time champ because I'm missing five? Oh, geez. <laughs> Just a question. Daniel Davis plays Arnold David Tooney on this episode. Daniel Davis plays Niles on The Nanny. Today I learned, while I was doing research for this episode, he is not British. What? Daniel Davis is not British. He is from Arkansas. I feel lied to. Three episodes ago. Episode 20. Cultural Exchange. Some East African musicians come to the Shea, and one of them decides to defect. We do have a name playing himself in this episode. Dizzy Gillespie. Since Chico was talking about Louis Armstrong, Thatchmo earlier, I think Dizzy Gillespie is like a half a level below Louis Armstrong. Legendary trumpeter. Episode 21 is titled The Recruiting Game. Calvin is a basketball player that is being courted by several colleges that seem to lean more towards his athletic career than his education. 
his mother reaches out to Frank to fend off the recruiters and make a sound college decision. Three names in this episode. First is Tom LaGrua, who plays Chick Voltaggio. We talked about him on Famous Teddy Z. Are you sure it's not the, te- the, te- the Teddy Famous Z? I can't say it. It's that stupid. Yes. Probably. And then we have playing coach Richards, Arthur Burkhart, known primarily for his roles in Transformers and G.I. Joe and Network. He played the great Ahmed Khan on Network. Playing coach Craig, though, Dennis Haskins. But also, Chico, you missed maybe the biggest name of all. Bigger than Mr. Belding. Bigger than that guy from the Teddy Famous Z. Playing the basketball player's mother, Mrs. Ross. Joe Marie Payton. What? Like I said, you missed it. We all know who Joe Marie Payton is. Harriet Winslow. Enough said. But we've also talked about her in the past in a number of episodes. Well, she would have still been on Perfect Strangers at this time. Because that didn't spin off till what? Like 89-ish? Yeah, because Carl Winslow actually makes his first appearance on Perfect Strangers in the 88-89 season. And you know what? I'm going to make a little prediction here. I really think, even though we may not want to put her in the Hall of Fame, she's making a Hall of Fame case. Because we talked about her in Teachers Only. When we cover the new Odd Couple, she was on four episodes of that. We talked about her in the Slap Maxwell story. We talked about her now. Whenever we cover Small Wonder, she was on that. Was also, I think she was on one of the Red Fox shows, like the variety show that aired uh, after Sanford's Son got canceled. Oh, the Red Fox Comedy Hour? Whatever it's called, I thought she was on that. That's going to take us to the final episode, episode 22, which is titled The King of Wall Street. A chairman of a major corporation visits the Shea, but he finds out that his board is trying to vote him out of his own company and he has to figure out his future. That's the series. Taking a look at the ratings, they weren't bad for starters. CBS obviously hyped us up quite a bit. We talked about how in summer of 1987, they had both the reads hosting the uh, CBS Playhouse, all those pilots that we talked about earlier in the show. And at least for starters, the ratings were not bad. Despite the competition, we'll get to the competition later. It faced some very, very difficult competition. So for what appears to be its premiere, it rated 42nd out of 60 shows. Okay, so that's bottom two thirds. But it did better than a similar special for Jake and the Fat Man. But taking a look at uh, other ratings throughout the series, they were similarly in that area. I see here for October 36th, again, 42nd uh, for another week in October. In November, I see a 49th, 47th. So, yeah, it looks like it tended to stick in the 40s. I see a 40th for late October of 1987, 37th, again, uh, the week before that, 
it's in the 40s pretty consistently. So a show that's consistently in the 40s. Nowadays, you score consistently in the 40 range. You will get that vote of confidence. But um, and now I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, which cites a book written by uh, Tom Dreesen and Tim Reed that the reason why this show was canceled, it wasn't because of the ratings and it wasn't because of how well it did, because it was a critical darling. The one thing that if you were to point at it and say, that's the reason that show got canceled, it would be, and this is according to Tim Reed, the final episode, The King of Wall Street. If I can quote Wikipedia real quick, Tim Reed was told by CBS board member and legendary newsman Walter Cronkite that the show was canceled because Lawrence Tisch, the network's CEO at the time, was upset by the episode The King of Wall Street. Tisch, who bought CBS via junk bonds, viewed the episode as an insult since it depicted a Wall Street tycoon condemning junk bonds. As a result, Tisch demanded that the show be canceled despite the objections of Cronkite and other board members. I'm going to disagree about the ratings thing because I'm looking now in March of 1988 and this is out of 80 shows. It was 68th. But let's factor in Fox shows. The only shows that were not on Fox that it beat my sister Sam, actually it tied at 68th with my sister Sam, and then Trial and Error, which was a Paul Rodriguez thing. And Eddie Velez. Are we going to forget Eddie Velez? I think I clearly did. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not buying the whole ratings thing because when you're third from the bottom among the big three, that's not good. But also, I think we need to always play that game. Let's look at the schedule. Because the schedule, wherever this went, it went up against competition. It's crazy. Just some of the names of the shows that it went up against. We'll start with the premiere. On the premiere night, it premiered at 8 o'clock on Mondays. NBC, 8 o'clock on Mondays in the late 80s, was ALF. Second season, I don't know if you're beating ALF at this point, but also on ABC, before Monday Night Football, mind you, head of the class. And again, that would have been second season or third season. I think it was second. But then if we skip ahead a little bit in the schedule, it starts hopping and bopping around like nobody's business. Uh, October 18th, it's still at 8 p.m. on Mondays. Going up against Alf. But now before Monday Night Football, the first half hour of MacGyver. We're sort of going from bad to worse. Now I'm going to jump all the way to February 1st. Still on Mondays, but now it airs at 8.30. Kate and Alley now airs at 8. Then Frank's Place is at 8.30. Now on NBC, it's got to go up against Valerie's family. And it still goes up against MacGyver uh, the second half hour of MacGyver on uh, Monday nights, even after the football season's done. So you're just getting pounded by different shows, and that's not even the worst of it. We're going to go to 
March. By this time, they moved the show to Tuesday nights at 9.30. On NBC, it went up against the second half hour of In the Heat of the Night. And I believe this is the first season of In the Heat of the Night. But on ABC, again, Tuesday nights, mid to late 80s, 9 p.m., second half hour of Moonlighting. But that's not even all, because it made one more move for summer reruns. It moved to Saturday nights now, following Kate and Allie reruns again. And this would have been Kate and Allie's last season, I think, 87, 88, maybe 88, 89. It went up against Supercarrier that we've talked about previously on ABC, second half hour of that. But on NBC, how about another show that you're going to have problems with? 227. Oh. So anywhere it went, it was going up against a quality TV show. Maybe that's the reason why the ratings were so lackluster. It just couldn't catch a break no matter where it went, Mondays, Tuesdays, Saturdays. But I do want to play a little game with Chico and Greg regarding this, because I have a quote, and this is from a famous celebrity. The quote says, specifically, I stay home to watch. I stay home to watch L.A. Law, Frank's Place, and Hooperman. I taped Letterman and listened to the audio in my car on the way to work. I know Chico said he wanted to play this 20 questions style. So you know what? That's a fair idea. We're going to play 20 questions to guess the identity of the celebrity who said that quote. I'm not going to edit any of this. It's going to last about 10 minutes. So if you want to skip ahead to about the one hour mark, that'll pick up with the remainder of the show without the hemming and hawing of Chico and Greg. And we'll alternate. So Chico... You go first, then back to Greg, and so each of you gets ten questions. Okay. Uh, is this celebrity a male or a female? We do this like person, place, or thing style, yes or no questions only. Okay, fine. Is this person a male? This person is a male. One question down, 19 to go, Greg. Was he on TV during this time? Yes, he was. So that's two down, 18 to go. Okay, Mr. John Daly, um, was he on a show on NBC at the time? No. I'm going to say no to that, and I'm Wally Bruner, not John Daly. Three down, 17 to go. Oh, darn, I was hoping to call you Larry Blyde. (laughs) (laughs) Was he on ABC at this time? No, he wasn't. So that's four down, 16 to go. Okay, we've whittled it down to a network. (laughs) A CBS in 1988. Okay. Was he on a non-scripted show at this time? He was on a non-scripted show at this time. So five down, 15 to go. Back to Greg. Is this person involved in news by chance? A qualified yes. I'll say yes to that. So six down. Is this person a commentator? I'm going to say no. So that's seven. Does this person 
anchor an evening news slot at 6.30. No. So that's eight. Chico? Is this person known for a long-running series? Absolutely, yes. So that's nine. Is this person on 60 Minutes? No, that's ten. I'm trying to think of a, a non-scripted show on CBS in 1988. Um, You're going down the wrong path. I'm just going to tell you that. Okay. Um is this person still alive today? This person is absolutely still alive. So that's 11. Is this person in the sports division at CBS? No. But again, you're making an assumption that we have not clarified. You're making an assumption about something regarding this person that we have not determined. Okay. Is this person on CBS? No, that's 13. So he's not on ABC, he's not on NBC, and he's not on CBS. Correct. And he is a, uh, he's not a commentator. Not a commentator. He is on a unscripted series that aired in 1988. That may or may not have lasted a long time. No, it definitely lasted a long time. I said that much. Okay. Uh, in terms of if he was on this show in 1988, the answer to that is yes. So he was on this show in 1988, 87, 88, and it's a long-running show. So I think we're at Greg with seven questions left. Dear God. Um... What were his three favorite shows again? Frank's Place, L.A. Law, and what's the third? Hooperman. Hooperman. That doesn't really give you a clue, though. I'm just going to tell I you know. that much. Okay. You know that, but it's like, who would, like... At this point, I think I almost need to give you a clue. Do you want a clue? Yes. Take, yes. You may know him from a TV show, but you also know his work in a different type of role on network television. A non-acting, non-visual role, if you will. Non-acting, non-visual role. That doesn't help. I don't want to just give it to you on a platter. I mean, I really could, but I really don't want to just... Fine, give it to us in a bag. No, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I need to figure this out. Okay. He's not on a network. He's not on a network. He's not... See, this is what screwed us. Chico made me think he was on CBS. And so I went in the wrong direction. Now I'm at 13 questions now. Well, you see, that's why I told you you guys are going down the wrong path because you thought he was on cbs and i never said he was yeah but you also said he was he's not on abc and he's not on nbc if he's not on cbs and he's not on nbc and he's not on abc where would his show air is it a show in syndication there you go that's 14 we're on the right track now yes 
It's a non and it's a non-scripted role. Is he a host of something? Yes. That's 15. Five left. Does he host a review program for feature films? No, he doesn't. So that's 16. Is he a game show host? No, that's 17. I'm sure the listeners find this absolutely captivating. (laughs) So he's on syndication. He's not a game show host. Correct. He's not a reviewer. Uh Uh-huh. And like I said, you may know him from his TV role, but he has another, I don't want to say side gig, but he's also known for something else related to television, but not as an actor and not as like a personality. He did something else. If you want to give up. No, I don't okay, want to give I up. Just, I'm just offering. I'm just offering because I'm looking. This is not I, helping me. I'm looking at your faces and it seems like you're either really stumped or really constipated. I'm like, what? I'm trying to figure this out. It's racking my brain. Maybe going for the non-television role might help you out. I know you got three questions. I know Chico's only got one left. Would you like me to give you a... Yes. Give us a hint. Okay, well, I'm going to give you like a parallel, okay, to who this person is. In many ways, he's very similar to Alan Thicke. Similar to Alan Thicke. In the fact that... Okay. Hold on a second. Similar to Alan Thick in syndication, he's the host of a show, correct? Uh, yeah, but not, Alan's not necessarily a host in this sense. I'm talking about the second gig for this person. The set. There's a second gig for this person. Yeah, this person's known for more than just hosting. Well, give us a hint of the second gig. I can't because you're going to get it. You know what? I'm willing to take that risk if Just you are. give the hint of the second gig. He's a composer. Okay. He's a composer. Yeah. So that's the Alan Thick tie, because Alan oh. Thick obviously composed. Okay. Okay. Are you thinking, Greg? I'm thinking! Okay! I'm not, I'm not, okay! I just want to make sure you didn't have a coma, Tom Poston. Oh, God. A composer. Okay. Yes, composer, and he had a very significant role on a TV show in syndication, and he would have been on in 1987-88. Yo, Chico, you can take this question. I can try to figure out the last two. Did he compose the theme song to uh, basketball coverage on a major television network maybe all right <laughs> i got it the clue. that was the hint yes i knew that would give it to you is it john tesh yes john tesh said he loves frank's <laughs> place to the point that he records it all the time Frank, i knew when i said it was john tesh i knew you'd like flip out because i know how much you love your round ball rock yeah, John Tesh said all that, believe it or not. 
Well, of course he has to keep up with Frank's place. He hosts Entertainment Tonight with Mary Hart at this time. And if you listen to the 1987 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade episode, he's very handy with a camcorder. And if you needed another hint, I was going to say, try for the insult comic dog calls him Tessie. <laughs> if that didn't give it to you, I don't know what would have. Yeah. But yeah. Wait a sec- Hold on. Time out. When I said, did he work at CBS Sports? That is true because John Tesh worked at CBS Sports before he was at Entertainment Tonight. Oh, for frig's sake. I'll say it again. If you're still listening to us after all of that, God bless you. I'm sorry for the people that are listening to the Friday Omnibus Cut that have another episode to go. (laughs) But hey, they played along too, and maybe I'll somehow cut it down from like 15 minutes to three. Depends how I feel. So yeah, I just wanted to share that little nugget with you because I thought Greg especially, but Chico too, would love to know that John Tesh loved Frank's place. All right, before we wrap everything up, I think we need to do the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour update. It's time for This weekend Match Game. Hollywood Squares Hour History. We are up to week 16, and this week... I've touted a big celebrity, a legend of sorts, appearing this week. George Goebel appeared. We know him from Hollywood Squares. He didn't really translate that well to match game. This also may not have helped. I think his mental faculties were starting to go. wasn't as sharp as he was 10 years prior, but also physically. He actually walked across the stage the first episode with Kane in hand, and then for the second episode and the rest of the week, he just stood by the square, not unlike Bill Cullen. But in addition, we had Richard Klein, Bill Daly, Leonard Fry, not from Mr. Smith anymore, because that got canceled, Nancy Stafford, Tom Wigan, Elaine Joyce, and Jimmy Walker, who was only there because he needed the money. Money. Oh, I was going to put the sound in there, but that was beautiful. Nice timing, too. Now, this week, we had one of our players that we love talking about. We talked about Magnificent Beard Guy. We talked about Gary, who got robbed, who looked a lot like Ricky Schroeder. We're going to talk about Katie DeSmato in the very near future. But one person that we gave a nickname because of his facial hair is Epic Pornstash Guy. And his name is Mark Berg. So, this week... Epic Porn Stash Guy was on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for two episodes, and they started doing the phone match. We talked about in week 14 how it was promoted. In week 16, they actually started doing the phone match. In terms of wins this week, there was a $1,000 win with Jimmy Walker. That was Porn Stash Guy who won that, $100 times 10. And then $10,000 with Tom on Wednesday, $20,000 with Tom on Thursday, and the biggie, $30,000 with Nancy Stafford on Friday. So we just had like a crescendo there. No win on Monday, Tuesday, little baby win. Wednesday, bigger win. Thursday, even bigger win. And then Friday, kaboom. 
the big one. But next week, oh, guys, I say this for Greg, but I also say this for Chico. One of our favorites is going to be on this week. We may have mentioned this person earlier. That's right. Nidra Voles is coming back next week, baby. Yeah. There you go. Two people said yay. So two versus one. Yeah. No. For the record, I was not that enthusiastic about it. Nobody gets as enthusiastic as me when it comes to Nidra Voles. Just remember that. But maybe we're talking about somebody else next week. Oh, obviously. Ken Kirchhoff and Nathan Cook. Don't spoil it. Want to give just Nieder Voles the teaser. That's it for this update. Let's wrap up this episode. It's lasted long enough with our little guessing game. Thank you for surviving our little game. Even <laughs> if it gets edited down to like three minutes, you guys really don't know how long that took. I promise we're not going to do that again because apparently I stumped everybody on John Tesh. Wow! And we know it's going at the end. Oh, Ramble of Rock. After that? My son's favorite character from my son's favorite show. He plays Shotty LaRue and Frank's place Don Yeso. I think now, guys, after that, we can officially retire that soundbite. Yes. Yes. I don't want to, but okay. Well, next time, don't put that idea in my head, good sir. Episode 454, submission number 691, Cleghorn! I have to shout it because it has an exclamation point. We've never shouted the exclamation point on any other show we've done. We didn't say, phew, or Jeopardy, 1978. So, you're going in uncharted territory by emphasizing the exclamation. Yeah, you're definitely going in uncharted territory. Okay, all right. Clyghorn aired on the WB from September 10th to December 17th, 1995 for 12 episodes. It was 15, but three went unaired. Now, you know, Chico, if the television audience was as enthusiastic for this show as you were telling us the title of the show, we would currently be celebrating its 29th year on television. Just saying. But yeah, the 12 episodes, that is three quarters of a crock block. Are you just ignoring my comment about the enthusiasm that you put in the in the, the name of the show? And if viewers match that enthusiasm, that this would still be on the air? No, it wouldn't be on the air because Nexstar would have canceled it as soon as they bought the CW. <laughs> Gentlemen, before Sashir Zameda, before Ego Nwodin, before Leslie Jones, but after Denitra Vanson of Von Hudson, there was Ellen Cleghorn. 
Ellen was the first African-American female to star on Saturday Night Live for more than a season. Remember, she was a featured player to begin with, but then she joined the troupe proper and stayed there until 1995 because Saturday Night Live's 20th season. That is a future entry, by the way. She had notable roles on the show like Queen Shaniqua, Zoraida the Page, Anita Hill, and Jack A. Harry. But with the great exodus of 1995, Ellen sought to branch out in a new direction with a vehicle for her comedic talent. And it could not have come at a better time if you think about it. Mid-1990s. We have the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on NBC. We have Family Matters on ABC. We have damn near half of the Fox lineup. We have UPN. Demand for the urban audience was at an all-time high. The WB already had successes, relatively speaking, with the Wayans Brothers and the Parenthood on Wednesday night. Those two just fit together. And with the network picking up Sister Sister from ABC, it looked like it was poised to find more success. Can I just say the Wayans Brothers had the greatest theme song of all time? Well, I think he's made that declaration in the past. I won't sing it, but you know. It's playing in my head right now. Wayne's Brothers and the Parenthood with Robert Townsend, of course. With the network picking up Sister Sister from ABC, putting it on Sunday nights after Pinky and the Brain, opposite 60 Minutes and America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah, that was a smart idea. Good job. But it looked like it was poised to find more success. But did it? We're going to talk about that right after we talk about the cast. Now, before this show, Ellen already made history as the longest-serving African-American female troop member on SNL to that point. I think Yvonne Hudson was on for like half a season and then she just disappeared. And, of course, Denitra Vance lasted the uh, 1985-86 season and was gone without a trace. Although she did blaze a trail for women of color and also LGBT women of color. And also, if you want to refer back to that episode, we did do it back in Marvel Month in 2022. Because Robert Downey Jr. Of course. With this sitcom, where she played Ellen Carlson, a single mom with a pair of overbearing parents, a lazy sister, a sassy preteen daughter, and an ex-husband who's nothing short of strange, and the business partner, also nothing short of strange, she would be the first African-American SNL alumna to headline her very own sitcom. Granted, she did not create this sitcom, nor did she write for it. This was created by Steve Papoon, David Silverman, and Stephen Susteric. Steve Papoon, I believe he did the Uncle Buck TV show with Kevin Meany back in the day. He also did The Simpsons, ALF, 
Get a Life and was co-creator of The Wild Thornberries. David Silverman, he did Family Guy. And Steven Sestarsik wrote for Shaolin Chronicles, The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, and Lucky, unfortunately, is no longer with us. I see three writers. I don't think any of them could write for the cast that they got for this show. But I'll give you the names of the cast, and you can be the judge on your own. Because you know what they say, you're only as good as the people you work with and the people you work for. So we have Ellen Cleghorn playing Ellen Carlson, single mother who runs a struggling television commercial production company. Her parents, Sydney and Lena Carlson, were played by fellow SNL vet Garrett Morris, fresh off his run as Stan in Martin, and 227 co-star Elena Reed Hall. Fresh off her run on that show. Sydney was the wise and wisecracking dad, a U.S. post office letter carrier and part time building doorman, who is basically playing the Garrett Morris character, if you know who I'm talking about. And Lena was a part time school teacher and an overly devout mom who regretted having, and now I'm quoting, a daughter who won't consummate but will get married, and a daughter who will consummate, but did not marry. Ellen's business partner, Brad, who seems to be making all of the business decisions while Ellen is in charge of creative, is played by Steve Bean, who is no longer with us, but he was in a whole lot of future entries, let's just say. Greg? He was in an episode of Quantum Leap in 1989. Okay, so it's first season or early second season. What is it? That would be Good Morning Peoria, September 9th, 1959. Oh, I think Patricia Richardson is in this episode. I remember her. Yeah, of course. Tim's wife on Home Improvement. Again, sadly, no longer with us. He died in 2019. Ellen's daughter, Akila Carlson, who takes after her grandfather, is played by Sarita Monet Bickelman, former child actor who is not doing much child acting nowadays. Her ex-husband, Terrell Livingston, is played by Michael Ralph, who is best known as Cheryl Lee Ralph's brother. He is also... A voice actor. He was in Amazing Spider-Man 2, the video game. And rounding out the cast as Victoria Carlson, Ellen's dim-witted, lazy sister who will not move out and who aspires to be a model. Y'all know this girl. Sherry Shepard. So much talent. And Ellen Cleghorn is surrounded by it after four years of being surrounded by uh, Saturday Night Live, you would think that this would be a harbinger of really good things to come. But it had the unfortunate distinction of being a TV show on the WB in 1995. We'll get to that momentarily. But first, 
Let's Talk episodes. We start, as we always do, with the pilot titled Genesis. Ellen starts a TV commercial production company and gets new neighbors, her overbearing parents and ditzy sister. Episode 2, Sister of the Bride. When Ellen rejects Terrell's marriage proposal, because Terrell is a Jamaican national who's trying to stay in America, Victoria offers to be his bride to avert his impending deportation. However, Ellen objects to that union as well. Episode 3. My daughter attends the French School of New York, and yours doesn't. Ellen's hours of volunteer work at a private school pay off when Akila is accepted, but her efforts may have been in vain as her daughter wants to go back to public school. In this episode, we do have one well-known person. This person played Madame Barreau, who I'm guessing is the person who runs the school. I don't want to call it a principal. Played by Liz Sheridan. Mrs. Akmonic on Elf! Look, you can have Elf. I'll have her for Seinfeld. Thank you very much. That works just as well, too. You're more than welcome. Episode 4. All grown up and no place to go? Ellen volunteers at Akila's school dance to keep an eye on her after finding her in a compromising position with her date. Liz Sheridan as Madame Burrow makes another appearance, but playing her date, George, Maurice Woods. He was a that kid from that thing. Ranging from Lois and Clark to Wag the Dog in 1997, where he played Kid with Shoes. Episode 5, Adventures in Babysitting. Ellen offers her parents a job babysitting Akila to keep them from moving back to the projects after Sydney's overtime pay is cut. Now, we do have a name in this episode playing a guy by the name of Daryl William G. Schilling. He of the original head of the class. And we talked about him in a bunch of episodes. He's making a whole thing case. Episode 6, The Parent Trap. Ellen teaches Terrell a lesson in responsibility, and Victoria decides she wants a baby, but adopts a dog instead. Hilarity ensues in 1995, but now in 2024, that would just be, you know, normal. Bringing it back to Quantum Leap, though, we do have Davida Williams in an unknown character's name, but she was in a 2023 episode, The Friendly Skies, if you remember that, Greg. Is that the uh, UFO episode? I want to say it is. It's from season one, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's definitely a UFO episode, I believe. Episode seven. Twenty-nine something. Ellen learns she is a year older than she thought. So I'm guessing she always learned that she was 29, only to find out that she's 30, 
Episode 8, Losing Faith. Lena decides to cast aside her religious beliefs, of which there are many, and kick up her heels for a while after discovering the reverend that Ellen set her up with is married. Episode 9, Home Alone. With her parents out of town, Victoria feels neglected and clings to Ellen, who urges her to enjoy her independence. The advice backfires when Victoria throws a wild party that ends with a burglary. Playing one of the partygoers, a man by the name of Billy Bob, F. William Parker, who was a sergeant in Revenge of the Nerds, the father of the bride in The Wedding Planner, and a reverend in House. Episode 10, Girlfriends, with a Z. Ellen cancels a meeting to tend to a friend who has left her husband, but winds up in a sticky situation when she runs into her client at a restaurant. Playing Julia, Beverly Leach, Kate Monday from MathNet, Oh, episode 11, this magic moment. Ellen tries to have a night alone with her boyfriend, but the family can't stay away because a fire forces Ellen's parents to move into her apartment, which is right across the hallway. Playing a guy by the name of Carlson is Richard Cummings Jr., who was in 11 episodes of 30-something, 12 episodes of Northern Exposure, and the entire run of Throb with Diana Canova and a young Paul Walker. Oh, God. Can't wait till we get to that. Any excuse to play the nylons, I am here for. And the last aired episode, Brother from Another planet. Ellen's therapist brother Rob comes home for Sydney and Lena's 35th anniversary party, but his overanalysis of his parents' relationship causes Sydney to move out. There are actually three more episodes that were written but never aired. That would be Akila doesn't live here anymore. Ellen and Jeff take a ski trip with Akila and Jeff's son George. Who are not getting along. By the way, Jeff is played by Dorian Wilson, who is a man Ellen dates, who is the father of George and a student at the private school. By the way, Dorian Wilson, best known as Professor Stanley Ogilvy from the Parkers, and Terrence Winningham in Sister Sister, and Eddie Charles in Dream On. So three regular roles. Money for nothing and your chicken for free. Terrell opens a restaurant. I wonder what type of restaurant. Hmm. But I do like the episode title. Makes a reference to Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. I love that. Money for nothing and your chicks for free. I want my, I want my, I want my MTV. And the final episode that didn't air, Sydney's Choice. Sydney enlists the family to help him win a 
bowling tournament. And that's the show. I mean, nine out of every ten shows we cover on this podcast were so bad they're memorable. Short-lived, but memorable. Or, in the case of Frank's Place that we covered on Monday, cancelled way before its time. This is a show that simply existed between a vehicle for Kirk Cameron, a vehicle for Harlan Williams, and a vehicle for Jackie Guerra on the WB Sunday nights. It aired, it died, and it was forgotten. Almost in the same breath. There's probably a reason Stewie Griffin didn't figure this out, that it already existed. And of course, the schedule did not help matters at all, because the lead-in was the equally new and stilted sitcom Simon, with Harlan Williams as a simpleton and Jason Bateman as his put-upon brother. That's another entry for another time. And its lead-out was first time out with Jackie Guerra and Leah Remini. That's another entry for another time. Hey, you don't need an excuse for me to talk about Leah Remini. Unless you're a member of a certain cult, which is all I can say. Which, yeah, Yankees thumbs down guy to that. But yeah, it was on Sundays at 9 to start with which is a challenging time slot for any show, because guess what else is on Sundays at 9 in 1995? Married with Children? That's one. Murder, She Wrote? No, that's earlier. It's 95-96, right? Correct. I wouldn't even know what's on CBS's diagnosis murder on at this point. No, but we have movie on ABC and a movie on CBS. Oh, that explains it. And a movie on NBC. So this was the era when we still had Sunday night movies. Right. But then you go into October where CBS replaces the movies with two more future entries, Central Park West and New York News. Oh, Central Park West. In whatever show will you get Bad Shin Amik, John Barrowman, and Meryl Hemingway on the same show, and Lauren Hutton. And it didn't last but one season? That's unfair. You have Shelley Briggs and Captain Jack Harkness in the same show. How did this not succeed? And then you have New York News, which, if I'm not mistaken, was another vehicle for Mary Tyler Moore and Melina Kanakaridis and Madeline Kahn. She was on this before Mr. Black. So that's something we're going to have to pencil in shortly. But, oh, yeah, ABC was also running the playoffs. The Major League Baseball playoffs, which we covered back in the Baseball Network. So when they weren't running movies, they were running baseball. Admittedly, that was a good World Series, even though my team was on the wrong end. Hey, you got to go to the series for the first time in 41 years. Right, but also we ran up against probably the three best pitchers of the 90s. The best rotation of the 90s, for sure. 
and they couldn't win Jack before, and they couldn't win Jack after. By this time, mid-October, the WB needed to do some rearranging. So whether they started the season with Pinky in the Brain, followed by Kirk, Sister Sister, Simon, Cleghorn, and then First Time Out, they redid the schedule. Wait, what's First Time Out? It was basically, and now I'm quoting an article, the Latina living single. Oh. Why do we need another version of living single? Yeah, I'm happy with the one we have right now. Yeah, you have Queen Latifah. That's good enough. So they did the reshuffling. They put Pinky in the Brain and Kirk in the 7 p.m. hour. Nothing changed there. Sister Sister continued to be the star of the WB Sunday Night lineup. Cleghorn led out from that and improved, but there was no saving first time out or Simon. And apparently, after the December episode, there was no saving Cleghorn either. The ratings just weren't there. And like I said, it aired, it got canceled, and it was forgotten almost in the same breath. This was a really good environment to flourish on. I mean, demand for urban content on the network level has never been higher. And the Wayans brothers and the parenthood were really doing well for the WB. If they were to maybe put Cleghorn on with those two, I think it would have stood a chance. But if you were to ask Ellen about it herself, which somebody did, she would have said, I don't think I was ready in terms of being strong and saying, I can write, this is what I do. Because remember, she comes from SNL. If you have SNL chops, you can write and you can perform. But if you're out of the SNL, you need to make that known because all of a sudden you are surrounded by people who think they can write for you. And Ellen was here saying, I wasn't strong enough. I could have said, I can write, this is what I do, and feel confident in that. And to be able to say, no, this does not work. This works better. Now, there are some episodes on YouTube. If you do a little poking around, you'll be able to find them. And the thing of it is, this was a very well-acted show. I don't think it was well-written, but it was a very well-acted show. I mean, you could put actor A, B, or C in the role, and you'd probably get the exact same show. Slate called this show part of a chapter in television history, a rare moment when Black audience demographics were taken seriously by networks and advertisers, Aside from the 1970s, this period featured one of the highest concentrations of Black scripted programming ever. And the thing of it is, she was surrounded by the talent to make it work. I mean, who was her father? Garrett Morris, the first African-American on Saturday Night Live ever. And it has a bit of history because that would be the first time two SNL cast members of color worked together 
on a show post Studio 8H. The show could have worked, but Ellen, with her name on it, needed to voice her opinion on the material. Because like I said, this came off as you could put anybody in those roles and you would have the exact same show. This was just a speed bump on the road of life because after the show was canceled, Ellen went back to school. She earned her PhD in performance studies from NYU. She teaches, writes, auditions, and also podcasts with her daughter. So she is still very much active in the comedy that got her to where she is today. And if you remember, like I do, she was on a season of Works, Cooks in America. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Ellen Cleghorn's Cleghorn was aired, it was canceled, and it was forgotten in the same breath. She thought she was going to be the next big thing on the WB schedule. Unfortunately, she was just a thing on TV. Guys, you know what we haven't done in a very long time? What is that, Mike? eBay Price is Right. Hit that music. Oh, it's been a long-ass time since we've done this. Gentlemen, I have a very simple item here. All this is is a 3x5 index card signed by Ellen Cleghorn. I want the buy it now price. It is not sold on eBay. I would like the buy it now price of just a regular autographed three by five index card, not lined, that is autographed by Ellen Cleghorn. And I'm going to start with Greg. Five bucks. Chico? One dollar. Maybe this is the reason we haven't played this in some time. Well, this, <laughs> this is really out there. Buy it now, not even joking. $149.99. What? I love Ellen Cleghorn. I really do. But I'm not like Greg here. I, I don't hate money. Like I said, five bucks. That's the most I'll pay. I legitimately agree with Greg. Five bucks, maybe a little bit more because she was an SNL alum, but $149.99. Now we can put this little nugget away for a later date. Probably not play Prices Right again for probably at this rate, probably till October. Now, hold on, guys. I'm bringing back something we haven't talked about in a while. It's time to go to ChatGPT because I asked ChatGPT to write a sea shanty about Ellen Cleghorn. In the heart of the sea, there sails a tale of the comedian pole with wit to regale. Ellen Cleghorn with laughter she'd steer through storms of comedy without fear. Oh, Ellen Cleghorn with jokes so fine. She'd light up the stage like that bright sunshine. From SNL to the comedy scene. She's the captain of laughter, the true comedy queen. With humor as vast as the ocean's expanse, she'd navigate punchlines with effortless stance. 
from characters quirky to impressions of true. Ellen Clegghorn's laughter can sail us through. Repeat chorus. Through the waves of humor, she'd boldly ride. With each joke and jest, she'd fill us with pride. From the shores of laughter to the depths of cheer. Ellen Clegghorn's comedy, it's crystal clear. Repeat chorus. So let's raise a toast to this comedian grand, whose laughter and humor are like waves on the sand. Ellen Clegghorn in the comedy scene, forever remembered in laughter's decree. Anybody else get a vibe from Greg of the pirate from the opening of SpongeBob SquarePants? Right here. Are you ready, kids? I'm the captain. I can't hear you. I am captain. Seriously, when Greg was saying that, that totally went through my mind. Greg is now channeling the captain from the beginning of SpongeBob SquarePants. Amazing. Tom Kenny would be so proud of you, Greg. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. But remember, you can always go to our website over. It was a thing on TV. We can listen to the 453 episodes that precede this one. And we've got all sorts of great bonuses there, including mini-sodes, live shows, extended versions, previous episodes. The whole works. Hey, we just released on the website Super Bowl Sunday the extended edition of the Bud Ball episode. Nice. That was pretty fun. And also remember... We are on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon over It Was Thing on TV, except Facebook, where we are at It Was Thing on TV podcast. And remember, if you want to follow us on Mastodon, search for us at It Was a Thing on TV at TVWatch.40. And remember, we also have the Friday on the bus cuts of our episodes over at Voice of Nation Pop. And remember to subscribe to the podcast where you find podcasts can be streamed, either at Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, Audible, etc. And don't forget we are on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to the channel. Don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed of all future uploads on the channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next time. Well, guys, what happens when we give a vehicle to a beloved Broadway star, but it has the misfortune of airing the same day as a tragic news story? Although, as I'm going to point out in the episode, I don't think the tragic news story was the problem in this show's fate. But we'll get to that when we talk about it next week. But our second episode, well, I don't know what it's about, but baby, this person's back. I know what it's about. You run off and you are declared legally dead all of a sudden as your ex is getting ready to remarry some jerk. Baby, I'm back. And you know what the wife's reaction's gonna be? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Wait, is this the latest in an episode we've had Susan come out? Might be? I don't think we've ever had her after the plug for the website and the socials. We're groundbreaking this episode. So we have those two episodes coming at you as our salute to great black stories of the past continues right here on it was a thing on tv for greg for mike i'm chico thank you ever so much for listening please be kind to one another and we will see you for the next one wow god i have so many questions about the future is all food in pill form do they have flying cars did they ever find a successful vehicle for ellen cleghorn i can't answer those questions i'm not even supposed to be talking to you Ding.